great comebacks are born in the wake of great adversity. Great comebacks are born in the wake of great adversity. It's 1993. The scene is Buffalo. It's a win or go home playoff game for the Bills. And they play host to the Houston Oilers, and things are going very poorly for the Bills. Trailing 35 to 3 at halftime, their starting quarterback out for the game. The fans begin to leave the stadium. It's pretty much over. And yet the Bills embark upon what sports commentators now say is the greatest miracle comeback of all sports of all time, erasing a 35 to 3 deficit at the half to come back and win it 41-38. Now just imagine if they had quit, if they had given up. It's 2004. The Boston Red Sox are playing the New York Yankees and things are not going well for the Red Sox, trailing three games to zero to the New York Yankees. And, and if you're not a sports enthusiast, if you're trailing three games to one, you typically come back 9 to 11% of the time. They're not trailing three games to one, but three games to zero against the Yankees. It's pretty much over, and yet the Red Sox go on to do what few teams are able, erasing a 3-0 deficit, winning games 4, 5, 6, and 7, before going on and winning four straight against the St. Louis Cardinals to capture the World Series. Great comebacks are born in the wake of great adversity. It's February 5th. Sure. <laughs> 2017. You'll never let me live. <laughs> Up until that time, no team had ever come back from more than a 10-point deficit in the Super Bowl. Well, the Patriots found themselves trailing by 25 in the third quarter. ESPN at that point, had given the Atlanta Falcons a 99.7% chance to win the game. The game was, well, it wasn't quite over. The Patriots erased the 25-point deficit, coming back with two back-to-back two-point conversions, not even to mention winning the coin toss and scoring first to complete the miracle. Great comebacks are born in the wake of great adversity. When you find that you can't go another step, when it doesn't seem like things are going too well, when your back is against the wall, great comebacks are often born in those moments. The fact is, unfortunately, that people quit. People quit all the time. People feel like despair, hopelessness, discouragement, depression are just too big of obstacles. The challenges are just too, too big to climb. And, and they give up. And they quit. 
and they don't persevere. Well, today's story is about a man named John Mark, a man in which there's not a whole lot mentioned about. Now, I don't typically preach topical sermons at all, but when I do, they're about John Mark. And so I want us to look at the verses in the Bible in which he's mentioned, because I think there's a lot as we trace out his timeline, his life throughout the pages of Scripture to to really soak in a lot that is there that often goes unnoticed. And so that's exactly where we're going to start. In Acts chapter 12 is the first mention of this man. Just briefly, just in passing, Acts chapter 12, verse 12, it says, when he, Peter, realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. So here's this guy, John Mark. His name is John, sometimes he goes by Mark, or John Mark. And then we see him going from being mentioned to playing a role, being on the team, being a part of something. A few verses down in verse 25, it says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. John Mark. We keep going. And then in verse 4 of chapter 13, we see this. Barnabas and Paul, they're going to go out and do essentially a missions trip outside of their locale. It says this in Acts 13, verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God, the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John, John Mark, to assist them. This is John Mark. And Colossians chapter 4.10 actually tells us that he's actually Barnabas' cousin. Colossians 4.10 lets us in on that. And so there they are, Paul, Barnabas, John Mark, and they're out, and they're proclaiming the word of God. A lot of people will come and, and they'll say, I love Jesus. But what's so interesting to me is that so many of those people who say they love Jesus really could care less about the mission that he has given to his followers. They say, I love Jesus. Well, do you obey him? I mean, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And perhaps one of the greatest missions he gave us comes up in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples. A lot of people say they love Jesus, but they live their lives absolutely free of any worry or care about the mission that he has given to his followers. Think about what they're doing. I don't want to miss this in Acts chapter 13. They're out proclaiming the word of God. They are out proclaiming the word of God. They are out living on mission. If you've been at LCC for any number of times, you know that we're big about being missional or being a community on mission to make disciples. And this is really important that we understand this because so many people today, they have this mindset of thinking, well, 
I'll be missional when I go on a missions trip, and it's really completely backwards. I remember hearing in one of Dr. Wheeler's class, my evangelism professor at Liberty, and he said, it's interesting that people will pay two, three, four thousand dollars to travel across, across oceans for a week or two to go be missional, to go on mission, when they won't even talk to their neighbors, when they won't even be missional in the city that they live in. A lot of people say, I love Jesus, and it's surprising because their lives do not reflect the lives of people who actually love the mission that he's given to us. That he's given us a mission to go, to make disciples. Saturday was really cool. There was five of us that went on a prayer walk, and we just walked through the Cornerstone neighborhood. It's, it's a pretty dense area. A lot of young people live there, and and we just walked, and we prayed, and then when we would see people out in public, we'd just say, hey, um, we're from a Bible study that meets in the area, and we wanted to know if there's anything we can pray for you about. And we did that all day, and we met, I don't know, 10, at least 10 people. It was excellent. I asked one gentleman, is there anything I can, we can pray for you for? As he was checking the mail and fighting back tears, and then told me he had just buried his daughter a few days earlier. When I thought about it, and I was so proud of the, the people there in Curie who, who spe- spearheads us every week, I was thinking, in that one hour, that group of five of us were probably more missional than 90% of other people who say they love Jesus and are Christians in a whole year. Like, in that one hour of just walking around the neighborhood and meeting people and be like, hey, I'm Joe. Like, what's your name? Is there anything we can pray for you for? Like, we were probably more missional in that one hour than most people are an entire year who claim to love Jesus. And it was just really like, it was like, wow, I don't know. Like, as Christians, are we just lazy or do we just lack social skills? There's a lot of weird Christians out there. And obviously, I don't want anybody, to, any of you to be a weird Christian. But I, I don't know how much effort it takes just to say, hey, I'm Joe. <laughs> or, hi, I'm whatever your name is. And yet, for some reason, you would think that that was like a death sentence or like, you know, we're sending you on the baton, baton death march. Like, I, I don't understand why that is. So understand, like, where they're at. What are they doing? They're out being missional. And oh, by the way, you don't have to go two or three or four thousand miles away to be missional, to proclaim the word of God, that God sent his only son to this world, born of the Virgin Mary, fully God, fully mad, lives a perfect, sinless life, dies a sacrificial death on the cross, is buried, and three days later rises from the grave, conquering sin, conquering death, proving that he was who he said he was, the Son of God, that salvation is by grace alone. You don't make it happen. You can't make it happen through faith alone, in the person of Jesus Christ alone. And the true faith always involves faith and repentance. So that's what these guys are doing. John Mark... Paul and Barnabas, they're out proclaiming the word of God. They're out being missional. I don't want you to miss this because we need to be missional. We need to feel a sense of urgency. And honestly, some of us just need to get off our butts and stop being so dang lazy. You say, well, I I just don't have opportunities because I I go to Liberty and everyone's a Christian there. Like the young gal, I said, oh, are you part of a local church? And she said, oh yeah, I go to Liberty University. Like, I'm thinking, oh, I must have said something wrong. And then I'm looking at the rest of the people in our group on Saturday. They're like, no, no, she just 
didn't, she just did not understand, like, what you meant. Like, for her, like, being a part of a local church meant that she went to a, a Christian school. So this whole idea, well, I don't have opportunities because I go to the world's most exciting university and everybody there is a Christian. I would say probably every year it becomes less and less Christian there. And such an opportunity to be missional-minded, to be like Paul and Barnabas and this guy John Mark, out proclaiming the word of God. That's what they're doing. And I don't want to miss that. I don't want us to miss that. Well, this is where things get really interesting. They're out proclaiming the word of God in Acts 13, 4, and 5. And then you come down to verse 13, and something happens. Something strange. He says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, it's a port city in Cyprus where Barnabas is actually from, and came to Perga in Pamphylia, but John... John Mark, he left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, the text doesn't tell us why he left or whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, but by the time we get to Acts chapter 15, two chapters later, it becomes quite clear that this was not exactly an unexcused absence, that he should not have ever left them in the first place while they were out there proclaiming the word of God. We get to Acts 15, And that's our text, verse 36. And it says, After some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with him John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with him the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark, John Mark, his cousin, with him, and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Sometimes people say, what do you do as a pastor? And what I like to tell them sometimes is I say, I just like to read the Bible slowly. And maybe you've been there because sometimes we view Christian practices, Christian disciplines as a chore. Maybe that's how some of you feel, like coming today was kind of a chore. Or maybe you find that reading your Bible or praying seems kind of chore-like. It it seems more like a a homework assignment and something to add to your to-do list than actually is, I get to do this, right? Or I get to live on mission. I don't have to go overseas. I can live missionally here in this city. I get to be on mission because Jesus has given me this mission as his disciple. Wow, I get to do that. I get to open my Bible, even though there's other people who don't have Bibles to open because of the countries that they live in. And so, I tell people, yeah, one of the things that I do, really, when I preach is I just try to slow down because... Oftentimes when we approach the Bible, we're just like, okay, 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 I got it done. Okay, boom. Now I can tell my mom I read my Bible if she asked me a day or something. You know, she gets on my case. So I like to just slow it down. Slow it down. Don't rush to finish the sentence, but to think about it, to imagine. Like, at the end of the day, like, these guys are real people. They're having a real argument. They're having a real disagreement. This is a problem. It's all because of John Mark. Like, imagine it. Close your eyes right now. Close your eyes. 
Close your eyes. See it. See what's taking place. Like, imagine this story. Hear that conversation. Hear that disagreement. These are real people. See it. Hear it. Joseph. Joseph, you home? Joseph, it's Paul. Paul, is that you? Yeah. Hey, come open the door. Okay, uh, give me a second. Paul. Hey, Joseph. Paul, I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, it's Barnabas. I'm sorry. That's what all the apostles have called me since Acts chapter 4. Of course. Of course, of course. I'm sorry, Barnabas. Uh, what were you doing a second ago? Oh, well, come on in. Yeah. I was actually just, uh, you know, lifting weights. Decided to move from the two-pounders to the three-pounders today. You know what they say, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Well, I would remind you, Barnabas... For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of training in every way as it holds promise for both this life and the life to come. Wow. Paul, that's really good. You should send that to Timothy. I suppose he could benefit from hearing that. What brings you here today? Well, you know, I've just been thinking that... I've been thinking a lot about the churches that we last visited and helped start on our last missions trip, and... I thought maybe we should go back. We should revisit them and check on them and encourage them and just see how they're doing and kind of wanted to hear what you thought about that. I, I think that's a splendid idea. So you're good to go? You yeah, wanna... I'm, I'm, I'm definitely in, uh, although it's not just you and me, right? Well, no, I, I, I figured we should probably have a team together, but that's kind of the reason I wanted to come over here and discuss and hear what your thoughts were about it. Okay, okay. Uh, well, who, who are you thinking? Well, I, I have a, an idea, definitely, of some people, but I really wanted to hear what you had to say first. So any, any suggestions that you have, I'd love to hear them. Okay, they have to be in Antioch. That would help, since we're in Antioch. Well, Luke might work. Uh, Silas is a definite pick. I like Silas. Mm-hmm. And there's John Mark. And then Simon Peter. Wait, hold on a second. Did you say John Mark? Yeah, you know my cousin. Well, I, I know who John Mark is, Barnabas, but I don't want him coming with us. Why not? Barnabas. Paul. <laughs> Have you forgotten what happened after we left Paphos when we came to Perga in the district of Pamphylia? It was two chapters ago. <laughs> Paul, a lot can happen in two chapters. I, I'm, plus, plus, I've forgiven him, and I trust him. Well, listen, I, I've forgiven John Mark as well, but trust takes some time to rebuild, and I'm not there yet. I, I think he needs to sit this one out. What? <laughs> hmm. What would be your rationale for that? Barnabas, listen, I know... Oh, I think you're holding a grudge. Barnabas, I'm not holding a grudge. 
I know you love your cousin. I've forgiven him, but I think he needs to sit this one out. I'm open to him coming on other trips, but at least for this one, I think it's too soon. You know, Paul, uh, I seem to recall like six chapters ago, <laughs> someone wasn't very uh, popular among the apostles. <clears throat> and then someone stuck up for him. Yes, yes. You stuck up for him? You stuck up for me. Exactly. And that's what I'm doing here. John Mark deserves a chance to come back and fix his right. Listen, wrongs. I understand you have the gift of encouragement. I'm not trying to curb that, Barnabas. But the fact still remains that, John Mark, your cousin really dropped the ball. It hasn't been that long. And while I've forgiven him, I think he needs more time. Paul, all that I'm trying to do here is do what you've always said. You know, weep with those who weep. Uh, don't start. Those who don't. Uh, bear one another's burdens. Go ahead and quote me, Barnabas. <laughs> Look, Paul, I, I do really want to go. I think that would be very beneficial. Then come. But I'm not going without John Mark. You're going to give me some ultimatum just like that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not leaving without my cousin. He's not coming. I'm not going to change my mind on this, Barnabas. Then that's that. Okay. I hope that God blesses you and sister and that uh, there are people. Imagine. Imagine for a moment how John Mark might have felt upon hearing this conversation. Maybe a little discouraged. The Apostle Paul doesn't want him to come. And it's because he messed up. He dropped the ball. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what that conversation looked like or how John Mark might have felt upon hearing this conversation. But I imagine it, it's not too far off to say that it might have looked something like this between Barnabas and his cousin, John Mark. Barnabas. Hey, John Mark. Hey, how are you? Good, good. Did, did you by chance talk to Paul? Yeah, yeah, he stopped by this morning. Was... Well, what did he want? Um, you know, he just mentioned uh, a trip thing. Is he, ta is he taking a trip? Yeah, yeah, he said he, he wanted to go back to the other churches, you know, that he visited before. Okay, well, are you going? Uh, no. No, I, um... No, no, I'm not. Why aren't you going? It doesn't make any sense. We had, like, a little disagreement about um, the logistics of the trip. Okay, legit... You're not making any sense. Like, what's going on? I, it, it makes no sense why you wouldn't go with him. We, we just disagreed on people that are supposed to be a part of the team. Well, like who? Doesn't 
is, is this because of what happened after we left Paphos when, when we came to Perga and then I proceeded? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, if I was, uh, if I was Paul, I, I probably wouldn't want someone like me who's going to be unreliable and just screw it up anyways to come along. John, you're not an unreliable screw up. Yeah, well, I kind of feel that way right now. You made one mistake. Well, it was a big mistake. Yeah, it was a big mistake. <laughs> but the Lord's mercies are new every day. And great, John, great is his faithfulness. He's forgiven you. Are you okay? I don't know. I don't know. back and forth to my home of Cyprus and um, there's a couple churches there that have started and that need a little bit of uh, a little bit more structure and uh, some encouragement so I, I was thinking I was going to take a trip down there and, um, and visit and I, I wanted you to come with me um, you want me to come with you? yeah I do Paul doesn't want me to come with him why would you want me to come with him? with you. I mean, what if I mess it up again? What if I drop the ball? John, our mission, Paul's mission, our last mission was to proclaim the word. That hasn't changed. The only way you could screw this up was by not doing that. And I believe in you. And I want you to come on this trip with me. Because I think it would be very edifying. Are you in? You sure? Yeah. Yeah, I'm in. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't give in. Maybe, maybe you're finding yourself in a situation in which, like John Mark, you've really dropped the ball, you've really messed up, and you're tempted just to throw in the towel. You're facing some massive mountain of discouragement. You're thinking, how in the world am I going to scale this? How am I going to get to the other side? All right, you feel like things are just, they haven't been going really well for like a long time. And you're tempted. Be easy, right? Throw in the towel, walk away, forget this. 
But don't. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't give in. People say, what happened, John Mark? Did he get his great comeback? When you fast forward 10, 15 years, it's about 58 A.D., Peter finds himself essentially on death row, and before he's executed, this young man comes to visit him, a young man that he's been mentoring, a young man that he's been discipling while in prison, and he gives this young man his gospel account. There, there is no gospel of Peter with his name on it in our Bibles. But he gives this young man his gospel account. You may be more familiar with the 16 chapters in your Bible that bear the name, the gospel according to Mark. That is the same man that we've been talking about the whole time, John Mark. Now imagine if he had quit. If he had given up, given in, walked away thrown in the towel, well, we'd have one less gospel, for starters. What about, what about, what about John Mark and, and Paul's relationship that had been severed from this moment of going AWOL? What, whatever happened to that? Well, if you've been here through the book of 2 Timothy, you know, you know, as Paul is writing that letter, which has been often referred to as his last will and testament prior to, to dying. You know what he says at the end of chapter 4 of Second Timothy. In writing to Timothy, he says, Timothy, come to me as soon as you can. Come to me before winter. Oh, by the way, when you come, bring John Mark with you. He's very useful to me in ministry. I mean, talk about going from like zero to hero. Oh, it took some time. Between Acts chapter 13 and, and when he pins those words in Second Timothy, it might have been as many as 20 years later. Don't know for sure just how long it took for their relationship to be restored, for that trust. But make no, mistake, make no mistake about it. Great comebacks are born in the wake of great adversity. So keep going. Keep pushing forward. Don't quit. No doubt the temptation is always lurking behind just another challenge or problem. And let me be also very clear about another thing. This is not a message of positive thinking. It's not a self-help message today. If it was, I could give this message in any public school system with no one batting an eye. This is not a message of positive thinking. Like, if your confidence for a brighter tomorrow is simply based upon yourself, then this is just a secular message. This is just a pull yourself up by the bootstraps, slap a Nike label that says just do it on it, and be on. Be on your way. See, in those moments when discouragement comes, I can imagine John Mark feeling pretty discouraged. And knowing that like he's he's the reason. But in those moments when we give in to discouragement, we're not just like giving up, but we're also saying that God is not enough and that he's not able to. 
We're saying he's not enough. He's not able. The one who spoke the universe into existence, the one who holds the heavenly storehouses of snow and releases them when and how he feels like, that he's not enough. (laughs) Really? Check your small God theology out the door. No, our, our hope, our confidence for the brighter tomorrow, it can't be based upon ourselves. But rather, as Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply every need, not necessarily every want. You say great comebacks are born in the wake of great adversity. Yeah, it's just... A catchy label I threw on this. You don't need to memorize that part. That's not important. But those great comebacks, they might not always look the way you want them to look or happen when you want them to happen. That's why I mentioned it. It was nearly 20 years between Acts 13 when he went AWOL, John Mark, to when Paul penned 2 Timothy 4. Sometimes we're so impatient. Come on, hurry up, God! And so in those moments of impatience, we give in to discouragement. Or we think wrongly that he somehow is not listening or that he has forgotten us. No, and my God will supply every need of yours. Not every want. Not every want. Not every want. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful. Because if if God supplied every want of mine, all those different times I prayed, um, I would have probably been married like to all my ex-girlfriends. So something to think about in those moments. It It might not be the way you want it to or the way you think it should be. But make no mistake, he will supply every need. Oh, there is a responsibility that we have. Paul echoes this responsibility in step with God's sustaining grace. He says, but by the grace of God, 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. This isn't a message of positive thinking or self-help. This is a message that says, you do, you give everything, and when God brings you through the challenge, you're able to say, if it wasn't for you, I would have failed or given in to sin a long time ago. But you kept me. You gave me what I need. You preserved me. You held on to me. I look at this story And I see so many wonderful things. And I want to make sure they don't go past, they're not escaped out of this room. And I think the first thing I see is that God's plan can't be disrupted. No doubt, devil trying to cause dissension, thinking, I'm going to to tear these these guys apart. I'm going to tear Barnabas and Paul apart. They're not going to go on the trip together. Maybe thinking that he was successful. And yet, 
Don't miss this. What was initially going to be one trip is now two trips. What was going to be one trip is now two missional outreach trips. God's plans cannot be disrupted. It's very reminiscent of what Joseph tells when his brothers come back. He says, what you meant for evil. So there was a, there's an evil intention, right? There's an evil, demonic intention. There was, at the same time, a parallel plan in place. God meant for good. There was a, a secondary design. And here, this trip, these friends part ways. And this, it seems like this isn't going to work out. This isn't going to happen. Now, one trip has turned into two. Make no mistake about God. He is a big God. And his plans cannot be disrupted. For the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 14, 27, For the Lord of hosts has purposed. And who will annul it? His hand is stretched out. And who will turn it back? No one. Job echoes very similar sentiments in Job chapter 42, verse 2. I love these verses because it speaks to the absolute, total sovereignty of God. Like he is the quarterback who never throws an incomplete pass, ever. He never says, oh, dang it, that... That didn't work out the way I wanted it to. That never happens, ever. Job says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. It can't be thwarted. It can't be stopped. No one can stop him. No one can oppose him. Oh, sometimes it seems like that is happening. But just like the story of Joseph and just like the story of John Mark, you see in those moments where evil perhaps is triumphing, a secondary design, not reactionary, but sovereignly in place the whole way. Not like God's like, oh, I guess I better do this. But like, he's like, never caught off guard, right? The psalmist says, our God never sleeps nor slumbers. We see this secondary design. Yeah, like we're, we're, we're having two mission trips. That's what's happening. It's not the devil's winning. These guys are torn apart. They're not going on a trip. It's, we're having two trips. We're having two separate trips. And oh, by the way, don't miss this. God's sustaining and enabling grace in the life of John Mark. Sustaining and enabling. Make no mistake about it. I think it's very clear from Acts 15, the implications there. Despite Barnabas, with his gift of encouragement, that... John Mark has dropped the ball. He screwed up. He messed up. Back in Acts 13 when he went AWOL. But what does God do? He gives sustaining and enabling grace to John Mark. And this is what's also unique. Oftentimes that sustaining and enabling grace is carried through the pipeline of the people within the local church. In this case, his name was Barnabas. And oh, we all need a Barnabas in our life. In those moments when we've screwed up and maybe we've given into some sort of sin that we just battle with constantly, to have, to have a Barnabas that can, that can preach Romans 8.1 to us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Oh, but I messed up really big. Doesn't matter, you're forgiven. So quit beating yourself up. That's pointless. 
cowboy up and let's ride on. Oh, we need, we need Barnabases in our life who will encourage us because those moments of discouragement and despair, it's not like, oh, are they going to happen? It's really when they're going to happen. That's an observation I I just don't want you to miss. That's why I tell people, you're missing out. If you you don't come to like the small groups during the week, you're missing out. Because, oh man, I don't have a a Barnabas in my life. That'd be great. Well, come to small group. Like, go from just going to, to being a part of the church. Great comebacks are born in the wake of great adversity. Just don't quit. Don't give up. Why? Because when you give up, you say God's not enough in those moments. And oh, by the way, he certainly is enough. No one can oppose him. No one can stop or disrupt his plans. It doesn't work like that. He's never caught off guard. And oh, I'm so thankful for that sustaining and enabling grace. I'm so thankful for Barnabases in my own life. If you don't have a Barnabas in your life, you need a Barnabas. And more to the point that we should all strive to be like this man, Barnabas. I didn't even know, most of you don't, like Acts chapter 4. His name is Joseph, which is an excellent name. But the apostles called him Barnabas, no doubt to reflect the powerful spiritual gift that he had to build others up. God, we love you. You are supremely excellent. Your plans are never stopped. Your plans are never interrupted. Lord, I pray that in knowing and seeing how big you are, that that would encourage us to persevere in our own faith that you, God, would keep us from discouragement, even those moments where we have really, really messed up. To know that as the prophet says, your mercies are new every day. Great is your faithfulness. And I'm God, like, I need to hear that. I need to know that your mercies are new every day. We need to know that, Lord. Especially in the battle against sin and unbelief. When we drop the ball, I thank you for just real characters, real characters, real Bible characters that we have to look at and remind us of both good, the bad, and everything else. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.